one of the important things that we'll, we'll have to do is we'll have to be multi-fabric. You'll have to be able to disaggregate over PCIe because that's what GPUs like. You'll have to be able to disaggregate over CXL because that's what memory likes. You'll have to be able to disaggregate over Ethernet because that's the ubiquitous interconnect that exists in every data center. Welcome to Light Data Action, the podcast that's on a mission to help you discover new technology trends and tools and better understand how they affect the world around us. Light Data Action is sponsored and produced by Lumen Technologies, the platform for amazing things. I'm your host, Terry Barbonis, and in each episode, I'll speak with industry executives and thought leaders to discuss how these technologies change the way we do business and how you can stay ahead of the innovation. If you're ready, let's join the conversation. Hey, everybody. Composable infrastructure. It's a term that might sound complex, but its implications for the future of compute is a potential game changer. Now, this revolutionary approach to IT infrastructure is changing the way we think about, design, and manage data centers. It promises a future where resources, things like compute, storage, networking, your GPUs, your memory, everything that composes a traditional server, a traditional computer in a data center or in the enterprise um, is no longer static. It's not a rigid entity, but it's made up of flexible, adaptable elements that can be combined and taken apart, composed and decomposed on demand to meet specific requirements of applications and workloads. Now, we're in an era where agility and scalability and efficiency are the cornerstones of everything from digital transformation to the ability to leverage things like artificial intelligence and machine learning to drive business. And so composable infrastructure offers a paradigm shift, a new way to configure and use and solve for existing and potentially new problems and as a path to a more dynamic and responsive um, IT environment. Joining me today to talk about this topic, my guest is Sumit Puri. Sumit is the CEO and a co-founder of Liquid, a company that is providing a glimpse into the future where compute resources are fluid, flexible, and optimized to unprecedented levels. With over two decades' experience in the storage industry, Sumit has been an influential figure playing key roles in defining the technology roadmaps for industry leaders such as Sandforce, LSI, and Toshiba. He has vast experience, including bringing successful products to market with numerous teams and large-scale organizations, and he is a true industry veteran with a proven track record of success and innovation. Sumit, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Terry, thank you to you and the Lumen team for having me and very excited to be able to share more around our vision and what we uh, see the, the data center future as looking like. Can you first take a few minutes? You have an interesting background and obviously Liquid is a very interesting uh, company that's playing within this composable infrastructure game. Talk a little bit about your journey to from the storage industry and some of the other things you did to get to a point and an inspiration where you said, you know what, I'm going to start a company that's focused on composability. 
No, I appreciate that. And so, yeah, my journey, I've been in the, the, the tech space for almost close to 30 years now, believe it or not. Started my career off as a electrical engineer developing and designing storage products in the lab. At one point, I was part of Fujitsu's advanced development team uh, designing the next generation uh, storage products. I was lucky enough to be a part of a couple of successful startups and then eventually went to start off Liquid, where we had a focus around disaggregating the, the data center, disaggregating the systems, primarily originally with a focus on storage because that was my background. And as we kicked off this journey to build a appliance where storage, compute, and networking were all disaggregated elements, we actually realized that the technology that we were developing was wider applicable to than just storage. And that was around the time that GPU, GPUs began to emerge and GPUs became relevant inside the data center. And what we found out that our core technology around building a fabric that was built around PCIe technology was not only relevant to storage devices, which is the background that many of us came from, but was also very re relevant to these next generation devices called GPUs that were emerging in the data center. And so what we ended up doing was building a platform that not only allowed us to pool and share very valuable resources like storage, but that same technology, which was built around that PCIe fabric technology that you and I have spoke around in the past, that same technology was the root of our ability to go off and pool and share these new devices called GPUs that were emerging in the data center. And it just so happens that GPUs and artificial intelligence are very similar to each other in, in the sense that you can't really perform artificial intelligence without these GPU devices. And so um, we are very lucky that the core technology that we set out to build many, many years ago, specifically for storage, has a wonderful application in these new devices called GPUs. GPUs, most people probably know from their gaming systems. If you have an Xbox or a PlayStation, um, they're basically comprised of GPUs. Um, if you have a computer at home, it has a CPU and it has a GPU, a graphical processor unit. The CPU kind of handles all the main functions of the computer, and the GPUs are specialized components uh, for being able, they excel at running many small tasks at once, and so when you look at some of the use cases like artificial intelligence, um, the GPUs, not just one, but many of them uh, become hugely beneficial. And then PCI is basically your standard connect protocol. If you open up your computer and you look at your motherboard and all the other components, they're all connected and communicate over, over PCI. So from that perspective, so I'll ask you, how do you, I gave a very brief kind of a summary of what composable is. How would you define a composable infrastructure in a, in a manner where somebody who may not be familiar with it, even with an enterprise because of the way that we've traditionally provided compute within a data center in an office and so forth, how would you define a composable infrastructure? No, sure. I think the easiest way to think about it is a legacy server versus a composable disaggregated server. In a legacy server, what we normally do is we take a device, a storage device, a networking device, as mentioned these days, a GPU device, and we plug it into the sockets of the motherboard. And that's how we define what our system or our machine looks like. And if we want to change the, the configuration of that machine, 
Normally we send a human down with a cart and a screwdriver and we manually move the hardware around. In a composable world, think about pools of resources, trays of compute, trays of storage, trays of GPUs. Instead of taking these devices and plugging them into a motherboard, we take trays of these devices, we connect them into a switch, we come in with software, and we dynamically build our infrastructure depending on the workload that we are looking to deploy. Take this one U server pizza box, take 10 of those storage devices, take 12 of these GPU devices, interconnect them, what we say, at the bare metal, just like if we were putting the devices in the sockets of a motherboard, except we define it in software, we reprogram the switching layer, on the other side, we deliver a server, however big or small we want, except that server is dynamic. So if my workload, my AI workload, needs another GPU to run faster, we don't send a human with a screwdriver down with a cart. All we do is we sit back from our terminal, we reprogram the switching layer, the fabric layer, and we add or remove devices from the server depending on what the workload or the user is trying to accomplish. And one of the primary benefits of this is we can perfectly match the physical infrastructure to the requirements of the workload and drive much higher resource utilization inside our data center. And so that's how we describe a static server versus a composed server. So it's a little bit like Legos. I mean, if I'm gonna build a computer at home, as hobbyists do all the time. They're gonna buy a case, they're gonna find a specific motherboard, they're gonna find the memory they want, they're gonna find the GPUs and so forth and physically put it in one box. The difference I think in the way you describe composable is, uh, is I, can, I can, using software, I can basically go to my CPU pool, my GPU pool and so forth of which I can have multiple flavors. I can say I want one of these, one of these, one of these, and the software will basically bring it together into what would typically be a physical piece of hardware that then allows me to run workloads on top of it. Is that fair? Yeah, that's right. This is the true essence of the meaning of infrastructure as code, right? You define right, right. in code what you want your infrastructure to look like. We go create that infrastructure in the background at the physical layer, however many widgets per server is required. And we do that all defined in software, but delivered as real bare metal servers. Now, how the, the idea of composable infrastructure isn't necessarily new. Composable infrastructure of some sort have been around for a while. Is that true? Yeah, you know, the way to think about it, the way we, the way we like to think about it is like this. So when we invented um, virtualization, for example, we, we figured out how to share a compute element and we fundamentally changed the way that compute was consumed. When we took storage devices and we put it on the network and we figured out how to share storage, we fundamentally changed the way that storage was consumed. When we take GPUs and we figure out how to pool them and we figured out how to share them across the data center, we think it fundamentally changes the way that GPUs will be consumed. All of those technologies I described are one form of composable technology or another. And so our belief is there have been different ways of doing composable infrastructure for a long time. And it all boils down to one thing, software defined. We're, we're big believers that the future is dynamic. We believe, we're big believers that the future is software defined. 
We're big believers that the autonomous data center, the lights out autonomous data center, where things are dynamically reconfigured depending on what the orchestration engine wants to do, we think that's what the future looks like. And in order to get to that true endpoint of software-defined infrastructure, we think hardware disaggregation and composability are core technologies that need to be implemented. But to answer your question directly, yes, a form of composability has been around for a long time, and we think now it's finally making its way into the mainstream. I took a look at Gartner's famous hype cycle for compute from last year. And again, for the listeners, the hype cycle is Gartner's annual report that predicts how various technology, in this case, various compute technologies, how they will uh, evolve and grow you know, over the years and so forth. And so in that hype cycle, they have uh, composable infrastructure in the trough of disillusionment that I always thought was a great title for it, where they're basically saying over the next two to five years, there's still going to be some shakeout. There's going to be some success, some failures amongst vendors until the technology and the industry kind of stabilizes. From from where Liquid sits, and I uh, I think Liquid's about, you've been around for about a decade, right? About 2013, 2014? About nine years now, that's right. So my question is, you have analysts on one side basically saying X about it, but you're actually in the game, right? Your your company basically is trying to change and mature composable infrastructure. Do you see that what Gartner is predicting to be about right? Or or do you think that we are further ahead or further behind in terms of the adoption and the understanding of the benefits from moving from a traditional infrastructure to composable and more importantly, composable disaggregated infrastructure? Great question here. And so what comes after the uh, disillusionment phase, right? It's the, it's the plateau of productivity, right? And so we, we begin to right. get to the productivity phase of this whole thing. And we talk to a lot of different customers around disaggregating and then dynamically reconfiguring or composing your data center. And what, what I'll tell you is rarely do people say this doesn't make any sense. I think there's, there's a universal acceptance that, yeah, you know, gosh, it makes a lot of sense to pool and share these expensive power hungry devices so we, we can get utilization out of it. Right. And so I think that there's more and more people who see that as, you know, an obvious way to get efficiency. Uh, the next question normally comes around, well, you know, you're disaggregating and can it be performant? And I'm happy to say today that we are building some of the fastest generative AI systems on the planet today and making them run really, really fast. And it's a simple reason, right? Uh, we're not reliant on a piece of sheet metal to define how big and powerful we can build a server. If my server can benefit from 20 GPUs connected to it because that application can run faster because of that configuration, we create the impossible configuration. And so, yes, we can make it run more performant, even though it's disaggregated. Then we normally get asked, well, gosh, you know, this is so obvious, you know, raising utilization, being able to run more performant, you know, what's the cost of doing this? Because it makes so much sense. It must be expensive. Our, our counter to that is, you know, what is the cost of leaving your data center at 20% utilized? You know, would you yeah. be willing to, to do things to double, triple the utilization of these very expensive things, right? And then we're inevitably left with, well, gosh, all of this makes sense. So how come everybody's not doing it? And back to your question, because I think we're just, we're in the early phases of this. I think we're within a couple of years away of people demanding this 
as a way of consuming, for example, GPUs. The latest NVIDIA device is, you know, upwards of $30,000 per device. It's too precious of an asset to sit at anything other than 80, 90% utilization. And so we don't envision a world where you're putting one of these in every server. What we envision a world is these are pooled resources and we're sharing them to get the maximum benefit out of it. And so our belief is within a couple of years, this is the way data centers will be architected because it is obvious and not only can impact the, 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 the OPEX portion of it by raising utilization, we can actually implement the, the, the CapEx benefits also. And so we see this as, an inevitable, as the inevitable endpoint, whether we're one year away or five years away, that can be debated, but I don't think it's 10 years away. Sure. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about from a, from a cost perspective, you know, I talk to companies all the time, large companies that want to do uh, some form of machine learning within there, especially if you're a retailer or a manufacturer that has on-prem um, environments that normally would go out and they would say, I want to take 10 physical servers with a pair of GPUs. And depending on what they want to do, to your point, $30,000 per GPU, some of these GPUs are not inexpensive. They're not like the consumer GPUs that most people might know, which are expensive in their own right for the gamers and others. We're talking about a different caliber and a different price point. And so when you listen to the use case, I have 50 sites. I need 10 servers per site with a pair of these GPUs. And you add up the numbers at scale. And then you model it by looking at both compute and GPU utilization. You don't want $15,000, $20,000, $30,000 GPU sitting there idle even for, for, for a quarter of the time, right? And so when you take that model alone and you apply it to composable infrastructure where now that same individual can go in and say, I'm going to go ahead and build exactly what I need with the exact components. And at any given time, I can go in, if this GPU doesn't work tomorrow because I already did my tests and I need something different, I can go in and swap it and be up and running very quickly. And then when I'm done, I can programmatically have the hardware shut down if I wanted to. It's an entire different paradigm shift. And one, obviously, that we heard um, with the proliferation of workloads within public cloud and people that used to run traditional infrastructure moved everything into the cloud over the last, you know, going back to when AWS started 2006. And then you get, and then you, they get their first bill and they say, I'm spending $3 for every dollar spent in infrastructure. And part of the problem is you have resources that are running <laughs> that you don't shut down. So to me, that use case alone, that, that the financial implications of that are huge. No, really powerful what you're saying. I'll give you two examples of exactly what you described. Um, we have one customer because, listen, the chat GPT moment was real. Uh, AI is real. Everyone is trying to figure out how they're going to incorporate this into their business, into their environments, in, in, into, into ways of making money. Um, we have a media and entertainment customer today. They use the GPUs for their AI engineers during the day. When those engineers go home, they set up a policy and they move those same devices to video rendering servers at night. And what they are able to do is drive to 100% resource utilization 
of a very expensive asset. The only other way they were going to do that is like you mentioned, they were going to buy two. Um, we have other customers who are MSPs. And so they're doing, they're, they're doing things like VDI as a service. Um, well, the number of VDI users is, you know, is, it changes the number of GPUs that are required. And so what this customer is able to do, they're able to always meet the customer's VDI requirements. And when the GPU is not in use, they're actually doing blockchain the rest of the time. Again, driving their GPUs to 100% utilization. Why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't we be taking this approach? You talked about the edge. To me, you know, I, I just think there's so much exciting stuff happening at the edge because the edge is where all the data is created. All of the data is created with the cameras, the sensors. That is, that is the generation of, of a lot of the data that we care about. Moving that data to core is difficult. It's expensive. It's time consuming. You can't make the analytical judgments on the data at the speed that you want unless that computation is actually done at the edge. So we see this massive convergence of AI and the edge happening together where you're going to want to make decisions leveraging devices like GPUs at the point where the data is actually being created, which is at the edge. And fundamentally, it's very difficult to predict at the edge what the workload is going to be, how the environment is going to change. So by having a flexible architecture at the edge, you can service any emerging workload that comes out there, right? And fundamentally, the edge is limited by power, by floor space, by cooling, by human access. And that's what we're solving with composability. We're taking a box of GPUs that's 20% utilized, we're moving them to any server that needs them and getting that to 80, 90% utilization. And oh, by the way, if a GPU or an accelerator breaks at the edge, we can just compose that out and put a new one in without ever sending a human. And so we're super excited about the work that Lumen is doing at the edge. And you know, we're, we're excited about all of the AI enablement that's that's inevitable at the edge also. When you look at, at the interest and the use cases that Liquid has been involved with, and you look at the various components that make up compute, is the ability to compose GPUs is front and center right now. Do you see the rest of the components sort of falling in place? Do you see memory? Do you see, uh, you know, various CPUs and so forth? Um, or do you think that for a while with, as you, as you said, with generative AI and the things that require GPUs, especially, you know, I was thinking about this, especially if you're an organization that has hardware today, right? You've invested money in hardware, but you bought it at a time where you didn't think you need GPUs. So your current hardware can't take GPUs. Could I upgrade my hardware? Can I connect my hardware to composable infrastructure to say a, a liquid piece of hardware that basically allows me to continue using that piece of hardware by just connecting it via PCI to yeah. a bunch of uh, GPUs? Yep, great, great question. And so yes, the answer is yes. We do brownfield all the time where a customer yeah. has already invested in infrastructure and now they realize, oh gosh, I, I didn't have the GPU horsepower that I needed. Well, many of these servers, there's probably or may not be empty slots to plug in these devices. And so we do it all the time. We disaggregate the pool of GPUs, we put it inside the rack, and now we give new capability 
to the existing infrastructure that our customers have, have invested in. And today, as you said, today the primary pain point is around GPUs. They're expensive, they're hard to get, they're power hungry. And so that's where we move the, the, the biggest needle. But we're doing FPGAs today. We're doing storage devices today. We're doing DPUs today. We have a very robust hardware compatibility list of all of the different devices that we're able to deploy, either in greenfield deployments where we're standing up new racks of infrastructure or brownfield deployments where we're augmenting new capability onto the servers that our customers own. What we see is you know, new things, new emerging standards like CXL, that is coming out in the in the industry compute express link this is being invented by some of the largest most important companies out there to be able to disaggregate memory and so memory disaggregation is coming gpu disaggregation is here storage disaggregation is already done with sans right and so a disaggregated universe is is coming there's no doubt about it one of the important things that we'll we'll have to do is We'll have to be multi-fabric. You'll have to be able to disaggregate over PCIe because that's what GPUs like. You'll have to be able to disaggregate over CXL because that's what memory likes. You'll have to be able to disaggregate over Ethernet because that's the ubiquitous interconnect that exists in every data center. And so we envision a world where not only is it multi-device, a GPU, an FPGA, a memory storage, uh, a NIC, but it's also multi-fabric. CXL, PCIe, Ethernet. And so that's how we, we envision it. But today, the biggest pain point is the disaggregation of GPUs over PCIe. Yeah. And again, just for the audience, you mentioned FPGA. FPGA is a field programmable gate array. It's basically a specialized integrated circuit that can be programmed for specific tasks. Again, for, for, for the listeners who are not aware. Let's talk about performance for a second. You know, when you talk about those that do traditional high-performance computing or those that are now training large language models and so forth, for obvious reasons, they're neurotic about performance. And so when, when Liquid did their initial comparisons in terms of traditional infrastructure taking on this kind of workload over building a composable equivalent, what does performance look like? Does it, is it on par? Does it far exceed? Is it is it good enough for somebody to look at the overall cost implications and the management implications and say, well, if, if, it's, if it's even, I might as well go in this direction because I've got other benefits? I'll, I'll answer the performance part in a couple of different ways. The first way I'll talk about it is like, you know, pure numbers like latency, for example. Um, we disaggregate our GPUs over the PCIe interconnect, as you mentioned. Uh, PCIe is the most native interconnect inside of a server. It's the interconnect that the compute uses to talk to the storage device, to the GPU, to the networking card. So we do a lot of disaggregation over PCIe. One of the benefits of disaggregating PC over PCIe is the very, very low latency we're able to achieve. Each PCIe hop is 100 nanoseconds of, of latency. And so what that translates to in practical sense is at the application layer, when you are running your application, it is impossible for the application to tell that the GPU is disaggregated. As far as the application is concerned, the GPU is going to feel local to the motherboard of that server. And so there's no performance loss 
by disaggregating the GPU. That's number one. Um, the second way we look at performance is the ability to hit absolute performance levels. So if I buy a server from my favorite server vendor today, you know, maybe if I am lucky, I'll be able to put four GPUs inside of that server. There are some very exotic servers that are out there that have the ability to hold up to eight GPUs inside of a server. Well, we are not, you know, confined by any piece of sheet metal. So we can take a standard server running a standard application and connect to that application, for example, 20 GPUs. And so in that scenario, we are able to hit performance levels of that application on a single node that cannot be achieved with any other technology. So when we're talking about absolute performance levels that we're looking to achieve, yes, we can hit those performance levels, you know, and, and you know, realistically build some of the fastest compute nodes on the planet again not because we're magicians as much as we're able to connect more devices together over a low latency interconnect and treat it as one large machine. And, and are there use cases, we touched a little bit on, you had mentioned earlier on cloud and edge and obviously with, with Lumen, with our edge network and some of the stuff we're trying to do, where does cloud, your traditional public hyperscaler, kind of fall in in the, in the analysis of whether somebody should leverage composability is it do you end up seeing customers and we see this all the time almost every implementation of infrastructure today is some form of a hybrid there are some things that are still running on prem there are some things running in public cloud there's some things running in edge and everything in between um, is there a compare and contrast or a advantage disadvantage when you have somebody who says i can just stand up what i need in aws what are the benefits of me considering? So the, I think the first, the, the first thing to think about is what you said earlier, which is cloud is easy. Cloud is the easy button. But the, but the reality is cloud is very, very expensive in many cases. And so the, the, the most expensive thing that you can lease on AWS or Azure or any of those places is a GPU instance. There's nothing more expensive than a GPU instance. And so... What we see is we see a world that's bimodal. We see a world where some amount of infrastructure lives in public cloud, some amount of infrastructure lives in edge, some amount of infrastructure lives in on-prem or in a colo. And you're going to have to, as a, a consumer, figure out which workloads you're going to put in which locations. What we offer to many of our customers, because most of our customers you know, are not trying to figure out is dynamic better or is static better? I think everyone will agree dynamically reconfigurable is better than static. That is not the question at hand. A lot of the question is, am I gonna own and operate my own infrastructure or am I gonna give my money to AWS? Typically, we are 70% cheaper than something like AWS. So considerably lower cost, that's number one. Number two is we're normally higher performing, right? In the sense that things, same things I said to you earlier, we can build systems that run faster than anything that you can lease or rent online. We build unique offerings, meaning if I wanted a 16-way configuration, that's actually not available on, on AWS. And, and at the end of the day, it, it's, it's a function of cost performance. And so we encourage everyone to come have that discussion. We have TCO calculators that we can make available where you can run your own analysis and see if this makes sense. Running AI in the cloud on places like Amazon is very, very expensive. 
we think we have right. a, a phenomenal alter, alternative for those that are looking to save money. What about customers that are large virtualization shops? You touched on virtualization a little bit earlier. A customer that is running, say, VMware. So they stand up what they need when they need it. They got the orchestration, everything else, right? We all know virtualization's been around for a while. How does virtualization plus composability fit together? And and what are the additional benefits that you get from, you know, the, the two of them sort of separate? Yeah, that, that that's a, it's a really interesting question because we get it asked often, which is, oh, so if I compose, does that mean I don't need to virtualize anymore? Right. And right. Ours, 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 ours is a slightly different answer, right? I think it's a better together story. And, and the way I'll describe it is this, right? Um, normally what we do is, for example, we buy a server. That server has eight storage devices and a GPU. And then we pay our VMware licensing fee to virtualize that pool of hardware. And when I need the ninth or 10th SSD, or I need the next GPU for my VDI instance, what am I doing? I'm buying another box and I'm, you know, buying some additional VMware licenses. Well, in our world, we don't do that. When that box of hardware needs the ninth drive, the 10th drive, the 12th drive, or the third GPU or the fourth GPU, we just compose that physical hardware underneath the hypervisor. The hypervisor can't tell that we've pulled that hardware from a disaggregated tray. It just thinks that someone went over to the motherboard and plugged in additional resources and so you can virtualize the composed resources as if they were local to that server. So as we can raise utilization rates and save money on hardware, we can actually save money on software licensing also. For example, avoiding additional VMware licenses when we want to add additional devices. And on top of that, we also have a plugin for vCenter. So now I can do the orchestration, the composition layer, directly from the vCenter layer and, and basically have one pane of glass managing everything. So our story is CDI plus VDI are, are better together for sure. Yeah, and I think from obviously the conversations we, we've had before, what Liquid provides, aside from allowing a VMware shop to, to do what they have been doing with the added advantage of being composable, there are other tools, those that are using containers, things like Kubernetes or using, you mentioned infrastructure as code, tools like Ansible that enable infrastructure as a code and all the various uh, programming interfaces, all that can also be leveraged with composability. You don't lose that, you add to it. Is that correct? That's that's correct. I'll give you kind of maybe two examples. Um, for example, a Kubernetes plugin, which is coming from us. So now as we're setting up our Kubernetes cluster, we're going to have an input file, right? And in that input file, you're going to be able to define how many nodes and the composition of those nodes. And so as part of the Kubernetes orchestration, we will take that input file in, in something like Kubespray, for example, and we'll go off and we'll build the physical infrastructure exactly how you defined it in that input file as part of the Kubernetes cluster. And so now your Kubernetes cluster can be defined with the exact physical infrastructure um, at the orchestration layer. The, my favorite one right now is Slurm, which is an orchestration engine for HPC. We have a plugin for Slurm right now. And the old HPC model, for example, is I come down to the infrastructure and I say, give me 10 compute nodes with two GPUs apiece. And if the best matching hardware we had in the infrastructure was a bunch of servers with four GPUs apiece, 
you get to make a decision. Am I going to run that infrastructure or am I going to wait till something better comes up and that matches better? In our world, we take that as an input file. We'll go off and create those exact nodes with the exact hardware that we want. We'll give it back to the Slurm orchestration engine or the Ansible orchestration engine. And again, we get a perfect matching of physical infrastructure to the request that was made from the higher layer. And the theory is if we get a better match, we can, we can have higher resource utilization and that translates to being able to do more jobs in parallel. For, for the listeners, Kubernetes is, is a way to basically take everything you need for an application to run, kind of put it in a container so you can move it around between execution venues and so forth. Um, we talked about PCI being the, the, the conduit for communication. What about other fabrics, other technologies, things like Ethernet, for example? Is there, is there a, a world or a capability within composability where I'm not just composing from a group of resource pools sitting in the same physical location? I have those. This is the disaggregated play, right? I may have GPUs in location one. I may have other resources somewhere else. And I would think I would need a connectivity that exceeds the boundaries of what, what PCI does, right? That's, that's right. And um, so our vision of the world, as we roll forward here, our vision is every server on the planet eventually will be composable. You are going to be able to change the amount of hardware that's connected to that CPU. You're going to be able to do it through software-defined methods. But the reality is it's going to be a multi-fabric world. I'm going to have something super low latency like PCIe or CXL because I'm going to want to grab something like memory off that low latency interconnect. And then I'm going to have, as you described it, something long distance, long reach. I want to be able to go 100 meters, 200 meters, kilometers. And for that, I may very well choose Ethernet. And even though it comes with higher latency, it has the distance and reach that I want. And so we envision a world that's multi-fabric. Today, things like GPUs are primarily composed over PCIe, but today we also have the ability to compose storage devices over Ethernet, which we can go very, very you know, long distances. Liquid is also working on the ability to do you know, things like GPU sharing over Ethernet. And so that's a, a coming technology that we are working on. And believe it or not, we also have customers who are working with us who want to use 5G wireless as a fabric, the ability to share devices over a low latency wireless connection. And so we envision a world where all of those are, are, are possible. Today, PCIe is phenomenal. Ethernet is phenomenal. Ethernet over GPU sharing over Ethernet, we think is going to be huge, but we think things like CXL are going to be critically important also. And so I guess what I'll tell your listeners is we believe the future is disaggregated. We believe the future is multi-fabric and we think we need one orchestration layer that can manage all the different devices, all the different fabric types, and actually has plugins to the things that our customers want to use like Ansible, like Slurm, like VMware, like OpenStack, like Kubernetes. With all of the, the orchestration automation, policy management, and so forth. Where does security fit in? Is there is there another advantage or at least do you not lose 
does an organization not lose anything from a security perspective in terms of how these devices are stood up and managed and so forth from a composable perspective? Yeah, it's another 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 important question, right? And so because we're able to disaggregate over the native interconnect that all of these devices work on, which is PCIe, we number one have the ability to pass through all of the security settings throughout the stack. So for example, if a storage device supports encryption, we're going to be able to pass that encryption end to end across our our PCIe fabric. We have deployed, and the other thing I'll say is around security is the way that it works is Liquid is the actual, our software is not in the data path. If you think about the way that this all operates is we are the keeper of the PCIe fabric, for example, and we are taking endpoints and we are connecting them to servers. And we are discovering those devices. We are connecting them together. Once that connection is made, we are not in the data path, though the speeds that we run at everything is passed through for example and so we're not like snooping your packets it's not passive you know store and forward anything like that uh, we have deployed this at high security facilities we've deployed this at the department of defense and so you can imagine the level of scrutiny that we've gone through related to everything security and i'm i'm happy to say we we've been able to to, to pass all of the examinations that these guys have put towards us yeah that's great because obviously that's that's important with data already being in different locations, compute and your compute components are now can be in different locations, lots of positives, but obviously from a security perspective, you need to make sure you don't take your, your, your eye off of, uh, off of that. So let me ask you the future looking uh, question. You touched on a little bit of this in terms of a few minutes ago, you've got uh, emerging technologies like CXL compute express link, which is really the evolution of PCIe that we talked about, um, which I always relate to for, for those that are not familiar. If you look at PCIe as a 16 lane highway, CXL becomes a 32 lane highway in terms of what you could do, some of the things that can happen there. But if you look out three to five years in terms of composability, in terms of what Liquid is doing, any any interesting predictions that you want to make in terms of how far we can push this? Because it feels like as cool as some of these use cases are where you look at it and go, wow, I can build one of the world's fastest single node supercomputers, completely composable. It feels like the tip of the iceberg. Am, am I am I right in that? It feels like we still haven't, <laughs> like a lot of these technologies, just like with generative AI, we're just seeing it peer over the surface a little bit and there's a lot more underneath. And I think that's that's fair. This is early days here. You mentioned CXL. Um, I've been doing standards for, gosh, you know, 20 plus years. And rarely does a standard come out that has so much industry excitement and so much, I would say, vendor support. Every major hyperscaler, every major server vendor, every major component company is getting behind this CXL technology. And let's just be clear, CXL is invented for one thing. It's being invented for disaggregation. So I, I, right. again, I, I, I believe in the next three to five years, we are heading towards a disaggregated data center. I believe we're heading towards an autonomous data center where you know today the human is defining what the server looks like, but you can envision a world where 
the, the AI is deciding, hey, that server doesn't have enough storage. Let's automatically give that server more storage. The AI determines that the, the GPU on that machine hasn't been used for the last eight hours. I'm going to go ahead and take an action that says automatically move that GPU to a location where, you know, it can be you know, better utilized. And so I think the future is disaggregated. I think the future is dynamic. I think the future is autonomous. I think the future is multi-fabric. Uh, I, I, I envision a world where the endpoint of this whole thing is what we refer to as the lights out autonomous data center, the self-healing data center, where very few humans with carts running around fixing things. It's more of a self-healing environment where things break, the AI detects it, and we automatically, you know, heal itself. Uh, you can envision a world where, you know, we detect that the DRAM on a server went down, but then we take his storage devices, his GPU devices, his networking devices, and we move all of those devices to a spare node so that, you know, just because a, a chip on a CPU somewhere went bad, we don't have $200,000 of infrastructure, you know, underutilized, right? And so that's how we, we, we envision the future. I don't think anyone's going to tell you that static is going to beat dynamic. I think the, the more interesting question is how long is this journey? Um, right. What we have, Terry, is we're, we have a boil the ocean vision here, right? And our little company can't do it alone. And so it's going to take an industry to really transform the way the data center is built our vision in the short term is let's change the way that GPUs are consumed and then slowly with important partners and customers like you guys, potentially we can slowly begin to evolve the way this whole thing is architected. But I don't think 10 years from now, the data center looks like a bunch of static boxes that are only reconfigured with screwdrivers. I don't think that's what it looks like. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think with every emerging technology, every, revolution, you have a handful of companies and individuals and technologies that go up ahead, draw a couple of lines in the sand, plant some flags to show what's possible. And then you end up creating a snowball effect where, you know, it's not just one small company, it's everyone that now starts to make this more of a standard of how we do things. I, I also think it's interesting that we look at the outputs of what infrastructures like this create, things like generative AI, and we were in awe of that. But sometimes when you go back and you look at the underlying infrastructure that was used to create it, it's, it's magical in its own right to see how far we've come. Like I said, we had already disaggregated the data in various ways, and we have ways to access it in real time without having to move it or transfer it first. To me, this is the evolution of that, where now we've taken the computer part and we've allowed you to put it back together again programmatically with software to be able to do a lot more than, than what you've done. So, you know, I, for one, um, I applaud the efforts that you and, and Liquid are taking. I look forward to seeing not only what you guys do, but where we see composable infrastructure go, both as a technologist, as somebody who works for an organization that is looking to leverage some of those same technologies for ourselves and our customers. So uh, thank you for that. Thank you for being on the, the show. Always a pleasure to, to chat with you. And I look forward to uh, seeing you on a future episode to talk about 
how much of those predictions came around to become uh, to become truth down the road. We'll ha- we'll have to play this podcast back in a few years and see how uh, right. how, ac- how how accurate we got it. But thank you for the time today, Terry. It's always awesome talking to you. Thanks for joining another episode of Light Data Action. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows. You can also follow us on Twitter at Light Data Action. And for more Lumen news, at Lumen Tech Co. As always, we'd love to get your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show. And I hope you'll join us next time for another conversation.